Hello and welcome to the All Ears podcast by Give A Ruck with me, Jeremy Inson. Give A Ruck is a non-profit organisation that was developed to help rugby union players, club members, volunteers and coaches feel more comfortable talking openly and honestly about their mental health and well-being. In this series, we're talking to women and men from across rugby union to find out how their involvement in the sport has affected their mental health in good and bad ways and to share their stories and the lessons they've learned thanks to being involved in Rugby Union. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This episode's guest is John Fenlon, who has quite the tale to tell. Before we let John tell us his story, we'll say welcome to the pod and ask, how's your mental health today? Everything's going well, Jeremy. Thanks very much for having me back on. Um, since we last spoke, um, I've been fortunate enough to go and continue doing a little bit of traveling, which, um, you know, when you think of what's happened to me, the, those are the kind of things that you really hold on to now. Um, so everything is going as well as can be. A travel, that's something that helps the stress. Any other, any other things that help with your mental health? Playing rugby, actually, um, which I, I was exceptionally fortunate enough to do, uh, three days ago. Um, we had an inter-house game at uh, Ealing, so I was involved in that, and it was just really, really good to be back out on the pitch. Um, the other thing is obviously the kids. That uh, that also keeps you really busy, and um, yeah, they don't give you a minute's rest, so not much time to worry about other things, to be honest, between that. So without any further ado, uh, should we tell us why you're here, what your tale is to tell? So around 18 months ago, um, I was technically declared dead for six minutes um, whilst playing a game of rugby I collapsed and transpired that I'd suffered a cardiac arrest and fortunately um, I had members of my team and the opposition that were well trained Um, one of them is a doctor and they managed to bring me back around and um, yeah 18 months later here I am I've played another game of rugby I've got multiple memories um you know my kids my wife we've just seven, uh, celebrated our seventh year wedding anniversary as well congratulations um, two days ago how do you celebrate uh we went for a steak with the kids um yeah we just went nice and local somewhere in ealing and uh we, we had a steak and um and a bottle of wine very civilized very civilized <laughs> it was indeed so back to the incident, or even before the incident, how was your health leading up to that? Were you a heavy drinker? Were you a smoker? Um, so what was your involvement in rugby? How often did you play? What age were you? Um, and were there any sort of any other off-field issues? I certainly wasn't a, a heavy drinker. I think like all rugby players, I certainly enjoy a drink. Um, you know, I still like a beer now. I, I did smoke. Um, so I, I could have been fitter, absolutely, um, unquestionably. But, you know, I've, I've growing up in South Africa, you're, you're kind of encouraged to play sports from a very young age. I've always played sports. Um, so I don't think that my fitness was was below, you know, where it could have been or where it should have been to be to be playing vets rugby for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think I was in relatively good shape, I'd say. Were there any off the field issues at the time? And how old were you at the time? I would have been 42 years old. Um, so I stopped playing kind of first team rugby in, in the London leagues at the age of 37. And then I, I live in Ealing. So, um, yeah, I think I sent 
uh, Jake Usher, who's the uh, the skipper, a, a WhatsApp one day. I'd, I'd seen that Evergreens are playing, and I just said, "Look, I'd you know I'd like to play again. I've, I've played a little bit, and um, I went down, and the rest, of, as they say, is history." And um, yeah, that's how I got involved in Ealing. And um, yeah, they've been very welcoming, and, and obviously, again, right place, right time, because that had, if that had happened in, in one of the London leagues, you know, you're sometimes you're out far away from a clubhouse you know what it's like you're you know you've got to walk five minutes sometimes to, to get to a pitch um so yeah it's, it's all transpired very much in my favor um, the way it's worked out in, in terms of work and, and sort of stress related factors you've got two young children yeah in your marriage um and of course bring you great pleasure but uh <laughs> yeah the kids do uh, any better than I could do, but uh, but also work-wise, what was happening work-wise? Anything that um, I, I run a, a flooring installation company, so that obviously comes with its with its stresses. Um, fortunate enough, though, we've got a, a kind of good team of people in place. But you know, you, you now that you've had the time to sit and reflect, you do kind of wonder what impact that has. Um, it's it's a it's a big task, um, one that I thoroughly enjoy, but potentially that you know that the stress levels might have been higher than they they ought to have been so that could have been a contributing factor how about wider family um relatives elderly relatives anyone else have a sort of cardiac issues no not cardiac um my father passed away he had a brain hemorrhage um my grandfather had a stroke but there's there's not been anything cardiac i, I believe i've been the uh the virgin guinea pig on that one um, now, sort of growing up in South Africa, as you just said, you, there's a lot of sport. People obviously associate rugby quite readily with South Africa, but also yes, cricket, um, yeah, just all the sports across the board. I can imagine. Um, what was it like? Was it particularly uh, virulent in terms of the competition that you faced in those days? Was it was it something that was brilliant to you? Or, or yeah, I think you. You're I quite relaxed say, character. I am. I, I like to think I am. I think um, I, I don't want to say you're pushed to play. Um, sports in South Africa. I just think because of the the climate, um, you know, you, you've got your winter sports and you've got your summer sports, um, but you, you just play sport all year round. Um, so I, I, you know, on a Monday it would have been tennis, on a Tuesday it was football, on Wednesday it was rugby, Thursday it was cricket, and then the times that you're not part of a club or, or doing it for your school, you're just mucking about with your mates um, in, in the garden. I actually used to play um, football before I found rugby, so I, I don't know how well that will go down on this podcast, um, but I, I played football up until the age of 24 and then kind of only found rugby. I played under 13 and under 14 rugby, um, and then I got asked to leave the high school that I was at, um, and the school that I subsequently went to didn't have rugby. Um, they, they had football, and, and I was already playing football then, so that was just something that, that followed on. Um, but I only started playing rugby again when I got to London um, and I was uh, a club bouncer and a, a rugby team kind of came in and just we got chatting and they asked if I played rugby and I said a very long time ago and it all kind of uh, snowballed and, and a week later I found myself turning up for uh, for Kilburn Cosmos in uh, northwest London. Fantastic. And I was there for, I think I played for them for 15 or 16 years. So. Good times. Fantastic times. I mean, we're, you know, some of our best mates are, are still at that club now. We um, we all stay in touch. We've been through a lot of highs, a lot of lows, um, a couple of deaths. Obviously, I could have been one of those statistics. We, we lost a gentleman called Ehi, um, a cracking fella. So I think 
that that bunch of boys that were together. You know, we you know how teams kind of break up and move on. I think the core of that team we played together for about seven or eight years, which in the London leagues is, is a long time for for a cycle to kind of go through. Um, so yeah, just just a cracking bunch of boys. Um, we're actually going on a stag do uh, in a couple of weeks to Barcelona with, with a lot of them, which I'm uh, a little bit nervous about. That'll be a lot of fun, I'm sure. We'll do another pod on that. We'll, we'll do a fun exclusively on that, yeah. <laughs> you came over when you were 24. Your parents were English. No, no, I came, I came over when I was uh, 18, 19. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I started playing rugby again. When, 24, I was, okay. when I was 24, yeah. Right, well, I'm not trying to edit this bit out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so what brought you over here and, and what was the transitions like um, when you uh, did move? Initially, I, I came over with my with my best mate, Nicky Petzer, and uh, we had grand war ideas to go to Old Trafford, watch a couple of United games, get a pub job, um, stay for two years, and then go back to South Africa and do whatever um whatever it is that we we could have done really and then we both ended up getting pub jobs but he got his in swindon um i got mine in london so you know he, he went to swindon and then he moved up to, to glasgow i think he lasted one shift because he couldn't understand the accents i <laughs> stayed in london and then kind of two years came and went and you, you meet a girl and then meet a, another girl and now i've married with kids and a mortgage and uh that that traveling dream is over you know you, you kind of it's it's all based around holidays now so did you get to old trafford i have been to old trafford uh, i recently took my boy up as well to watch um i think it was the fa cup quarter final or, or semi-final we we went up it wouldn't have been the semi but yeah we went up and um i took him and he was quite um yeah, yeah i think he was amazed at the the size and scale of it all really and there's a lot of people to see in one place, and it's only five it thousand. <laughs> so let's get back to the night in question. Should we go full disclosure? Because I was also playing that match. I was, yeah, I mean, obviously, I my flying. memory is quite limited, so this might be a great time for you to to give the other side of it. Um, I don't, I don't want to hijack your podcast, but you know, I, I think for you to tell the story, I just remember walking up to a lineup um, and, and discussing what the call was going to be, and then it was lights out. So I don't really know. How it was all organised. I've obviously heard the stories and things afterwards, but go for it. Well, yeah, I was here. I mean, it was like eighth of October, twenty twenty-one, two days before two days before my birthday. So it was easy to remember. Happy it was, birthday! It was a cold <laughs> evening. It was UCS old boys we were playing, and as you just said, we were walking to a line out. Mm -hmm. I was fly half that night, an Andy Good style fly half, um, and yeah, I just remember you dropping like a, you just went like a tree. You're, how tall are you? Six foot four, six, six foot three, seven, yeah. six seven. There you go. Yeah, I just remember you dropping like an absolute, like a lumberjack. Yeah, well, people say it was like somebody was just stood at, yeah. at the top of the stadium and just pulled the trigger. Well, just, and it was yeah, just and it was, and it was the, it wasn't, you didn't crumple, you just went bang. Yeah. Obviously, we've spoken to the two main guys. Do you want to tell us a little bit about them who were involved in saving off? Because you were on the ground, weren't you? Yes. And, yes. Um, and you came to how long after? I think they worked. I was, I was technically dead for six minutes. I think they worked on me for around, 12 to 13 minutes um and by the time i came around the ambulance um still hadn't arrived so you know obviously without those two it, it would have been a much different scenario I, I may i may have survived but the lack of oxygen um that they obviously kind of kept flowing and, and um that wouldn't have happened so it, it wouldn't have been this man sat here today that's for sure 
So, um, yeah, Justin was playing nine, um, and the opposite, number nine as well, Sid, um, who'd, who'd recently just done a course on how to use a defib. Um, he obviously ran off. Justin immediately started controlling the, uh, the, the situation. I think he's given a, a little interview, I think, by the RFU, and he, he just said he was supremely confident. He knew exactly what to do. And he managed the team fantastically well. You know, it wasn't just him and Sid. There were five or six other guys that all took turns in, in um, you know, the CPR and um, clearing airways and things like that. So it, it really was, I think Justin described it as serendipity exemplified. And I think that just sums up the situation perfectly, those two words. Um, That's cool. Uh, Dr. Justin Green. Yeah, he was eating scrum out, so the closest player. Yeah outside the line out to you. Sid Young, who's uh, playing for UCS Old Boys, works for Saracens, and like John just said, had, I think it was two days before when he, I spoke to him, he'd had, he had defibrillage refresher training. Exactly that, yeah. Um, and just Justin had kind of taken um, one of his Saturdays to go and do a refresher course as well. Uh, you know, maybe four months before, and he just, you know, he was kind of arguing with himself, is this army doctor, is this going to be beneficial? And he just thought, you know, let's go and do it. And I think because of that, that's why he felt that he was able to to perform as he did, you know, that the stage was set for him, ultimately. The thing I remember was the speed with which he reacted. Like, you were, you dropped, and he was straight on you. Yeah. It was like you know, a player had been tackled, and he was jackling for the ball, and he was straight over you. And then... One or two others, I mean, the other two, three, I can remember, there was Brendan O'Flaherty, Paul Jackson, who was also playing that night, and Eddie Beck, I think, was on the sidelines, yes. one of the coaches. Meanwhile, Sid Young, being one of the younger players, living up to his name, went, ch- I remember seeing this flash going across me, and he just ran off to the, the clubhouse, got the defib, or asked someone for the defib, and then, yeah, and it, was, it was amazing to watch. It was one of those ones where, having done a first aid course, John's one, years ago, there's you know, you need that refresher, even just for the CPR. Yeah, and I think that's that's what gave them the confidence to, to kind of act and, and perform the way they did. There was no hesitation. Um, they, they managed the situation impeccably, and, and it's it's very much down to that man management and, and um, situation management that I'm here now and functioning fully, um, which some of our friends could argue but um you know yeah that the the oxygen flowed and, and there was no lasting effects essentially yeah. um, and it's like it's interesting you said to me in the past that when you went down there was no clutching of the heart like you have in the movies you just go down. it was like somebody flicking flicking off a light switch i'd played i think we were in the 60th minute um you know it was a, it was a fantastic game of rugby it was you know we'd score a try they'd score a try we it was a really flowing end-to-end game so you know that it, it was a, a nicely paced game it was pretty pretty quick um but there was no signs you know you, you kind of see in the movies like you said you, you clutch your heart and you hold on to the wall and you slowly slump out there it was just bang it was tickets it was man down game over um and then yeah i just kind of remember coming around and uh Justin being right in my face, just kind of going, you know, you're, you're okay, mate. You've had a heart attack. And I kind of, you're just gathering your bearings. And I looked at him and I, I'd had two concussions um, beforehand. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, he's obviously thought I'm concussed. I've had another concussion. And he's like, 
you've had a heart attack, you've had a heart attack. Do you mean, do you mean a concussion? He was like, no, it's, it's, you had a cardiac arrest. And I remember my, my first thought was, thank God it wasn't a concussion because I'd had two concussions already playing rugby. And I, I think the third one, they kind of say, just give up rugby, you can't play rugby. So I, I was almost relieved to hear that I'd had a heart attack and not a concussion because I knew that I could eventually return to the game, which, um, as, as I stated earlier, I was very fortunate enough to do three nights ago after 18 months. And the, the other thing with the, the defibrillator is that interesting with, with Sid uh, explaining about it, saying that you know, he'd gone over, got it, and, and he says it's very easy to follow, but even there, he's almost like a dummy's guy yes. for how to use it. Yeah. Uh, but he said, even then, because you watch it in the films, and he said, the idea is with it, the two paddles create an electric current which goes through your heart. You see in the films, they put it on the two pecs, the one pectoral, one pectoral, and he said, whoever took it out immediately went to do that. And he said, no, you don't, because you want the current going as close to the center of the heart as possible. Absolutely. And yeah. he said, no, one goes on the left pec, the other goes down the left side. Side of, under, like under the arm almost, yeah. And so he even, it, again, it was that kind of management, yeah. And he said, yeah, if, if he hadn't done that course, he probably would have done the two pecs yeah. straight away. Yeah. And that level of, um, yeah, I mean. Expertise and experience. It, it, it's those little things, right? That's That's what it all comes down to. Because obviously Justin's managing so so much else kind of on the, on the peripheral so when Sid had Sid not have noticed that who knows if it would have given the jolt that it needed to if it would have been quick enough you know there's and those are the things that you then start thinking about it's all the what-ifs and I'm, I'm a kind of glass half full kind of guy but there are times when you you slip into that little dark funk um and and you do the what-if game and I come out of it quite quickly because I don't want to sit and, and wallow in that. I, I completely understand how fortunate I am and I, I don't want to sit and play woe is me. But there are times when you just think, geez, how, how did that line up so fantastically well? How often do they come, those type of moments? And um, how do you sort of pull yourself out? I didn't allow myself to think of it, I think, for the first year. So I'd say... In the last six months, those thoughts have been a bit more prevalent, uh, a bit more reoccurring. I've sat down with Justin. We actually all went out. Um, all the boys that you mentioned um, previously, we all went and, and had a beer and, and a catch-up. And obviously, um, I, I found out a lot more, some of the, the things that you just mentioned and things like that. So um, I think speaking to them after a year or so really kind of helped me with the process um i think family have helped me through it a fantastic family fantastic friend base um and i think when it does happen i i kind of just go to that better place i, I think about how fortuitous i am and, and I, I think about ehi and, and my other mate shane white who who didn't make it out of the other side you know boys my age as fit or unfit depending on how you want to see it as me um who, who didn't come and you know yeah, he was planning a, a family shane had two young kids his his wife was actually pregnant with their second child when he passed away so for me it's it's about realizing how fortunate i am and that if, if you're still stuck in a slump after that then um yeah <laughs> I, I think you'd be in a really really hard spot so i know that i'm, I'm not you know, really down low because I, I realise how fortunate I am.
You're listening to the All Ears podcast by Give Her Up. I'm chatting to John Fenlon. He's telling us about the time he almost died while playing veterans rugby. Back to the evening in question. You're, you're sitting up now on the turf. Yeah. Um, people around you presume you've got lots of jackets being thrown over you and blankets. Ambulance is on its way. Kind of what happened next and what do you remember of that? Well, I, I, I remember um, that, that obviously cut my, my shirt off, which when we went for the beers that we, we just discussed in the last segment, um, they presented me with, um, it was, it was the number eight Jersey, um, beautifully cut straight down the middle. Um, so that, that kind of got the little beer session off to a good start. Um, I remember coming around and like I said, Justin kind of being on top of me and, and thinking it was a concussion initially. Um, and you know, the, the I don't know if it's unique to rugby, but the, the banter kind of already started then. You know, you, you could hear little things in the background. You know, that I think it was just palpable relief from the guys. You know, I had some very close friends that I'd played at Kilburn with that were playing for Ealing that night. Um, it, you know, it was part of my groomsman party. And I think that the sheer relief, I've spoken to, to Pete since, and the sheer relief from his point of view. So I just think it, it was that palpable relief from everybody knowing how grave it was having seen me prone dead and then coming around um and yeah i, I don't think it's uniquely rugby out I'd, I'd lean heavily towards it being uh, rugby orientated but the, you know that the chatter started again um so that that was reassuring um and then i think by the time the ambulance service arrived they were essentially reduced to the role of a glorified taxi because Justin and Sid and, and the rest of the boys had done such a fantastic job that they just had to make sure that, um, you know, I was stable for the, uh, the, the, the ambulance um, crew just had to make sure that I was stable for the journey to Hammersmith hospital. So you mentioned one of your friends, Pete, what's his full name? Should we fully credit Peter, him? Peter Donaldson. Yeah. Peter Donaldson. He had the, uh, the ominous task of phoning your wife, didn't he? How did he take to that? Andrew? Uh, not well. Um, I, I don't think anybody would. Um, he was, he was, um, he didn't actually tell her. He didn't tell her that I'd had a cardiac arrest. He just said John's been taken to hospital because I don't think, I mean, how do you deliver that news? And I think he was still having seen everything. I think his kind of mental um state wasn't quite all there either you know it's, it's not every day you see one of your best mates drop down dead in front of you so he just kind of phoned up and said look john's being taken to hospital would you like me to come and sit with the with the kids or do you want me to go with him and um she kind of said well can you come and look after the kids and and i'll get the i'll drive up there so that's kind of how it transpired but I, I yeah, I think he he was very um, crafty in in how he delivered the news because he didn't uh, didn't kind of come out and say he'd had a heart attack. He just said, "Yeah, John's been taken to hospital," which I think was probably the way to to do it. Yeah, leave it yeah. to the experts to yeah, the, the medical people to tell that. Because she, you know, my wife would have had multiple questions. Fiona would have had so many questions, and he just wouldn't have been able to answer them. So I think the way that he did it. Um, in hindsight, he was probably the perfect way. Don't don't get her panicked. Don't get her. You know, he knew that I was okay. He knew that I was going to survive. And I think 
your, your cardiac arrest would have just opened up so many emotions. So I, I think the way that he, he went about it in hindsight was, um, yeah, was the correct way. Um, how did she stay overnight post-op? Were you operated on straight away? What happened at the hospital? Uh, yeah, no, she didn't stay overnight. So she, she got there and already kind of had um, the She wasn't the thinking bed to myself. Yeah, no, no, I think that's exactly what she was thinking, to be honest. Um, so obviously with, with the kids, she had to get back to the to the kids. And, sure. and like I said earlier, we knew that I was going to be okay by then. I was in a fantastic facility, you know, Hammersmith Hospital, renowned for their um, cardiac wards. Um, I, I had a very small procedure done, actually, because, um, you know, I didn't need a stent. I had a balloon inserted not not a full stent um and i think when by the time fiona got there everything had been done they put the balloon and i was in recovery and then she got there and i remember her kind of bursting uh through the through the door and just kind of she she actually came in and she went to a and e because pete hadn't told her what had happened she went to a and e and they're like oh no 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 tried and eventually they were like try cardiology and i think that's when the hamsters started <laughs> Riding around the wheel, and she was like, "Okay, this this is serious." So she obviously came kind of flying through the doors. What's wrong? What's, what's happened? And I just said, "I'd, I'd had a cardiac arrest. Um, I, I had a heart attack." And it was hearing myself say that that was when I kind of broke down. You know, seeing seeing my wife and and hearing, and, and that's it. It was it was almost kind of finalized and and, and clarified. I've had a heart attack at the age of 42, Jesus. Um, and I think I, I had a bit of a wobble then. But how many days do you spend in hospital? And what was it? How many visits did you have? How much, how much did they do to you while you are in hospital, so to speak? And, and, and what was it like being there? Yeah, I, I was there. It, it's so bizarre when you think cardiac arrest, dead for, seven, uh, for six minutes, sorry. Um, I was in on the Friday night and up by Tuesday afternoon and doing a school run on the Wednesday, which is a little bit nuts when you think about it. Um, but it, it was a very safe environment. Um, you know, you're having a, a chat to, to the nurses, you know, they, they kind of looked at me and are like, you're, you're too young, you're, you're not in bad shape here. You know, you kind of look around and you see it's an older gentleman. Um, so I think they were quite surprised to, to have someone young um younger on the ward but you know that the care was fantastic they went through everything with me the docs would come in in the morning and then you know the nurses would take care of you through the night um we joked earlier about my wife getting the bed to herself and you know i equally enjoyed the the rest and the respite from um from the kids of my wife so it, it worked out pretty well for both of us <laughs> And now, while you're in the hospital, what was it like? What were you thinking? What were your thoughts doing? Had that impact come back again? No, I, I don't think I'd, I'd kind of um, understood the severity of what had happened then. Um, you know, it was just a case of overcoming the, the, the stay at the hospital, trying to ascertain what I needed to, to do going forward and, and to get home to my kids. And, and obviously, like I said, doing the school run and the school pickup. The, the following Wednesday, that was really emotional, kind of, um, you know, seeing the kids come out. I, I didn't show any emotion, but for me, uh, you know, internally it was, wow. Um, was that the first time you'd seen them 
after the incident? Or have they come to visit while you were in? No, they'd, they'd, they'd come to see me. Yeah, they'd come see me. So um, I FaceTimed the kids on, on the first night and obviously I'm sat wearing a, a hospital robe. So my son's old enough to kind of go, well, something's a little bit amiss here. So he kind of asked what happened and I gently kind of told him as, as you know, he was six at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of chose the, the wording um, and just kind of said, you know, what had, what had transpired and he he kind of understood. And um, yeah, they, they came through and saw me the next day. And, um, you know, we, we've spoken openly about it now. So um, yeah, I think they're, they're aware of what's happened and what could have, you know, we've, in fact, I lied, we, we, we didn't go into the impact of what it could have been. You know, we just said, this has happened, but I'm okay now and, and on we go. Uh, you mentioned you talked to to Dr. Justin Green and, and some of the other guys who were involved that night. Your wife and family, uh, obviously not so much children, but your parents, your in-laws, brothers, sisters, yeah. what sort of chats, and how did you sort of break it to them? Um, Fiona took the brunt of that. She was the one that kind of had to phone my mum. My mum would have then phoned my sisters. So, um, yeah, I think Fiona took the lead on that because I wouldn't have been, you know, I, I know I phoned the kids, they, they let me do that, but you can't just kind of willy-nilly pick up your phone and phone everyone. So um, my mom was scrambling for information and, and that was something I that Fiona did. And then obviously friends and family in South Africa and Australia and the Americas, you know, word spreads pretty quickly. Um, so I think, you know, having spoken to all of them by now, just reiterate the feeling of, um, gratitude, thankfulness, you know, I know every day how lucky I am to, to, to be here um, because of the circumstances and the sequence in, in which everything happened. Was there, was there anyone particularly you sort of had to take a deep breath and steel yourself to tell them or was that all on your wife? Um, no, again, it was it was pretty much all on my wife. I think my, my moment was seeing my wife, um, you know, when she came in and, and that was the moment that I wobbled. Um, and that was the only kind of time that I wobbled. And then I think, you know, she had to deliver the news to my mom. But I think they, they did a good job of networking the responsibility. So Fiona would have told my mom, my mom would have told my sisters, my sisters would have told my cousins, my uncles. And so by the time it kind of came back around, everybody had only told one or two people to kind of lessen the burden. So I think that was, that was also quite well managed. Now, since then, you've been working with Richmond Heavies. Uh, yes. The Richmond Heavies Foundation, of course, the, the old boys of Richmond FC, the famous rugby club. What sort of thing, what type of work is it and, uh, and what, what have you done with them? So we, um, I mean, they've, they've been fantastic. They've put over a thousand defibs in grassroots rugby clubs. Um, they do amazing work with charities. We had a dinner up in central London where um, there was an auction and we had... Um, you know, a few ex-pros come and talk about, um, you know, guys that have been on the circuit and uh, just really funny stories and, and like I said, auctions. And um, they came and had a chat with Justin and Sid and myself. And, you know, before I just kind of said, make sure that the, the focus is on these two boys. And it was very, very well handled, very well run. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really getting the message across that this could happen to anyone, you know. It could, regardless of your age or your sex or your creed and fitness level, it, it 
just could happen at any moment. So I think they've done some fantastic work in, in getting a lot of defibs into grassroots rugby clubs. Any club that's considering getting defibrillator, what would you say to them? Do it immediately. Um, it's the, you know, that they range from 300 pounds to 2000 pounds, but you know, you, you can have a cake sale if you need to and raise that kind of money, go door to door. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but get one. Um, it's they're, they're accessible, they're affordable and I'm living proof that they save lives. So, as you mentioned before, you returned to playing rugby a few days ago. How yeah. did uh, how did you pull up after that? And uh, so, leading into that, what what sort of nerves was there? Were there nerves? I mean, I'm I'm still sore now. Of course, there there were nerves. Not um, not. It was more. I, I'd kind of already been signed off by the doctor, um, and he he categorically said to me. The whole thing kind of leading up to this, I've had several appointments and, and after every appointment, I've kind of said, will I be able to play rugby again? And initially, the answer was like, you know, start looking at refereeing courses. So you kind of go from that crestfallen, um, defeatist attitude to it's just not going to happen again. And then because of the recuperation and, and how well I've healed, it started, there started to be a, a bit more hope. You know, so the, the first three were absolutely not. You're going to love being a referee, though. And then I was like, okay, you know, things are looking good. Um, so let's discuss it in six months, discuss it in a year. And then it kind of got to the point where they said, there's no reason that you can't play rugby again. Um, and I think three months ago, I was told that if I died on a rugby pitch again, it wouldn't be because of my heart by a cardiologist so that filled me with confidence so i don't think i had the the kind of anxiety and trepidation that you typically would have you know if, if you're told by a specialist cardiologist that you're going to be okay um so yeah it, it was just a fitness that you know i was very largely ineffective in the game way behind play um couldn't really contribute too much but it was just amazing being back out there because it's it's also the dressing room that you must. It's not just you know nobody enjoys playing. We suffer rugby. We don't play rugby. We suffer rugby as rugby players. And um, you know it's it's that dressing room predominantly that you miss. So it was great to be in that environment again. Um, did you uh, did you take the refereeing course? I didn't actually know. I, I I always had a glimmer of hope. Um, look, maybe. When I'm a, a fair bit older, it would be something that I'm interested in. But for now, I'm, I'm still happy to, to try and contribute on the field in whatever capacity I can. Of course, you, you were doing things with Richmond Heavies and still involved on the social side with, uh, with Ealing. Um, beyond that, so were, you, were your kids going to rugby? Were you sort of staying involved in the, in the wider circle? Yeah, so um, my daughter is about to join Rugby Rats. Nate has been at uh, Trailfinders since he was for Rugby Rats as well of gone through to, to under nine so um he plays football through the child finders as well um so a, a lot of our life has now become you know kind of not revolved around it but it, it's heavily incorporated in, in our weekends and things like that as you mentioned sometimes the boys meet up it'll be at the clubhouse i went and watched the first team play um in the in the champions cup um it was a good win so yeah we, we spend a lot of time you know, at the rugby club now. 
Um, and it's it's weird being back there some days and other days you just don't think about it. Sometimes your your eye will kind of cast off to that corner of the pitch where you fell like a big old oak. And um, other times you won't even give it a second thought. Quite bizarre. Uh, do you give a do you give a defibrillator a little tap on every time you walk? Every by? time. Do you give it a quick kiss. Every every time, Jez. And that's that's not a joke. Um, I walk down that corridor and I I just kiss my hand and then I just touch the uh, the defib and it's without fail, without fail. I must have kissed that thing 130 times by now since. This is the All These Podcast uh, with me, Jeremy Inson, with John Fenlon. And it's all about when uh, he collapsed had, with a heart attack and nearly died on the rugby field. Rugby is the thing you love. You love doing, obviously. Yeah. You love doing, presumably when you were under 13, under 14, before you changed schools to a football yes. school. That'd be Politely a, got asked to leave, Jezza. That'll be, uh, be, be another episode, don't worry. <laughs> um, but in your mind, is there sort of that, that, that sort of residual... Um, kind of paradox of the th- one of the things you'd love doing the most was the thing that almost I wouldn't say pushed you over there, but the thing that sort of triggered triggered um potential yeah, look that's that's a way to look at it. It's not the way that I look at it. Um everybody kind of says, you know, you you should die doing something you love. So had that have been it, I think Fiona would have find that the slightest, the slightest piece of comfort knowing that I'd passed away doing something that I love. Um you know, I'm talking about a, a tiny percentile here. But um, again, you can't get too much, you know, you can't get caught in that, that process too much because it, it will consume you. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to deal with the trauma of it. I think things are going well. Um, if, if I hit a bit of a, a downslope, um, I know that I've got people that I can go to and talk about it. But for the most part, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So I don't really let it plague me. Um, there's been one moment where I was, I, with my kids, we, we kind of lie, like many multiple parents, we, we kind of lie on the grass and we look up the clouds and we, you know, make up silly shapes. And there was um, a moment I was doing that and both of my kids, one under each arm, just kind of lying on my back. Um, we were on, on the big trampoline. And, um, you know, that, that was the first time that was maybe three or four months ago. And I, I just, my chest just started heaving and, you know, the kids kind of looked at me like, what's going on? Um, and, uh, you know, that, that for me was just one of those moments where I just realized, wow, you know, just having my babies on arms, this, this could have been, it could have all ended, worked out so differently. So I, I messaged Justin, um, you know, just to kind of tell him about that experience, um, because I know it's, it's been it's been a help for him as well. Um, you know, gosh, imagine walking around knowing that you've saved someone's life it must be an incredible feeling. So I know it's been very th- therapeutic for him as well. The the, the process. So you know, I, I can I can go to people. I can talk to Justin. I can I can talk to you know so many of of the friends that I've got that that I'm close with. Um, so I'm just again, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have that uh, support group around me. Kind of those hugs a little bit longer, a little bit tighter. Every day, yeah. So you know, when, when they try and sneak away, my boy's turning nine in, in July, so he's already kind of getting to that stage now where the hugs are just lean-ins and you know little pats on the back. So I just just holding that a little bit longer. Um, yeah, it, it, it absolutely happens. Yeah. That aside, have you noticed any sort of changes in your behaviour? Are you sort of making sure you, you 
maybe you don't react to something quite as quickly. You take the deep breaths, uh, that, or something that might have wound, wound you up in the past. Or yeah, I think you, you mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm a fairly relaxed, kind of chilled person as it is. Um, my wife will say no to that question, but I, I genuinely think that I have mellowed even more. Um, you know, I, I don't, I've never taken myself too seriously. I don't take situations too seriously. I, I think there's a resolution for, for every problem. Um, it, it's just working the right way to find it. So I don't think it's changed me as a person, um, apart from feeling a deep sense of gratitude um, almost always. But fundamentally, I don't think it's changed me because I've always been pretty relaxed and, and not too serious about things. What about uh, sort of steps for for your own health, perhaps you you like say your mental health. You've got people on the end of the line. You you've mentioned, and but also your physical health. Um, am I right? I think you've not the cigarettes on the head. Yes. Um, so I've I've had the occasional one, um, obviously with with a beer. But uh, I mean that that's probably been the biggest battle is um, is overcoming uh, tobacco. <clears throat> like I said, I, I still have the occasional one. Which saying it out loud now in, in front of you know X amount of people listening, it just sounds absolutely criminal. Um, but it, it genuinely is, is, is a device that has just consumed me. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, it's very much a work in progress. Um, but yeah, I think I, I eat, I never ate terribly. That's the other thing though, Jez, you know, it's, it's still a bit of a mystery. Obviously the smoking was a massive contributor, but I, you know, I don't think I was stressed and, you know, I'm not overweight and, you know, there, there's so many other contributing factors that you normally associate with a cardiac arrest. And I just didn't tick any of those boxes apart from being a smoker. So, you know, the, the biggest kind of thing that I struggle with is, is why, you know, why might it have happened? So, yeah. How much of that is a bit bears down on you kind of from a mental uh, point I view? think, yeah, that's probably the, the point that you question the most, but again, you can, you can drive yourself, absolutely do lally if you if you let it ferment and sit and swirl so it, it kind of comes in and then you chew it around a little bit and then you spit it back out because you know if you don't like i said it, it just consumes you and and that's when you start kind of hitting that that funk i've been fortunate enough to um to, to not do that uh, now the, the whole evening you know you mentioned the five guys got Justin green sid young eddie beck paul jackson brenner flaherty who came to your raid yeah. you know, in your, your hour of need. Um, what's this all say about rugby? And how much does this show what's great about rugby? Yeah, I, I think I, I picked it up um, earlier again. It, it's, it's the dressing room that I've missed the most. You know, like I said, we, we suffer rugby. We don't play. I haven't missed getting, you know, tackled. And, and yeah, it's, it's the boys in the dressing room that make rugby. Um, and I was very, very fortunate enough to spend 15 years at my old club and, and have some lifelong mates from there. And now I'm at Ealing and every single one to a man has been amazing. You know, we had a, an inter-house game and there were the guys that I didn't recognize coming to me just saying, it's, it's amazing seeing you on a rugby pitch again. And then there were the guys that were there, you know, the Brendans and the, uh, Justin kind of came on, um, you know, uh, halfway through the game, he kind of just ran up to me and we, we had a little huddle, uh, a little hug. So, you know, it's, it's moments like that 
um it, it's, it's the dressing room that you miss so those boys and and the wider squad and the, you know the club as a whole the fact that feeling hold a memorial game every year I could have been one of those statistics, but there are other boys that we play for. And the fact that Ealing Trail Finders do that as a club is is a testament to them, to the players, to the staff. Um, you know, just kind of shows you what, what the game of rugby is all about. How big was your smile afterwards? And, and are you going to be up for it next season? 100%. As, as long as I, I mean, you could argue that I wasn't physically able to play this game. I was, um, like I mentioned, I was, I was so far behind the pace of the game. I got blisters on both feet in the warm-up. Um, so that, that didn't help. But um, look, if I can play rugby, even if I've got to put on a, a pair of orange pants at some point and, and you, you can't tackle me, then, you know, that's the way I'll go. If, if I can walk, I'll try and play rugby. And finally, those five guys, we'll say their names one more time. Dr. Justin Green, Sid Young, Eddie Beck, Paul Jackson, Breno Flaherty. What do you say to them? Um, <sighs> Again, I think um, I've, I've now, the last time we chatted, I hadn't spoken to them all individually. You know, we're, we're all quite local boys. Um, Justin's actually put some work my way with, with the work that I do uh, with his next door neighbor. I've seen um, Paul out and about at um, fates and things like that. So I've, I've seen all of these guys again individually and we've, we've all had that, that little heartwarming moment where we've just kind of looked at each other and, and we just know, you know, you don't have to over-egg it. You don't have to talk about it every time. And they've, you know, they've all, I'm always, always, what do you want to drink? What do you want to drink? You know, you're, and I've always kind of said to them, you'll drink three beers for life. And they've just kind of said, look, you know, relax. We, we can put a line under that now. It was, you know, never had to be a thing. We appreciated it. But, we're just glad that you're here. So um, seeing them all in, in a kind of individual capacity outside of that night and outside of when we all went for a beer, um, you know, after it first happened, I don't think we need to say anything now because it's, it's been said. And um, I think that'll always be a, a kind of unique bond specifically with those boys and, you know, the, the wider group, of course. Um, but, with those five lads, I think, yeah, there'll, there'll always just be a little bit of extra love in the heart. Absolutely. That literally beats because of them. <laughs> oh, beautiful sentiment and a great way to wrap up this interview. Thank you so much for talking. Thank you very, very much for having me back. Yeah, good luck for next season. Top man. I'll uh, see you out there. That was the All Ears podcast with me, Jeremy Inson. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe and follow us on all the usual social media channels. See you next time.